And so when we think about uh, from a religious standpoint, is it a difficult concept that we are, we are to transform ourselves with the word of God? We are to not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds? That we basically separate ourselves from the world. What separates us? The truth of God's word, righteousness, and so God's moral uh, standard. So when we look at this here this morning, brother, I'm going to, 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 to make this as simple as it possibly is because it's not that difficult of a concept. And so as we look at this, the second reason why sanctification seems uh, intimidating for some or confusing to some is because when you look at how the Greek and the Hebrew words were translated over in, in, in many of our modern English dictionaries, we see that uh, the Hebrew word for uh, sanctified is kadesh. We look at uh, agios, which is the, the, word, the, the Greek word for the, same, uh, uh, for the same word sanctified. And so you look at Kadesh and you look at agios and you look at how they're translated in our Bibles and you'll find words like sanctification, sanctified, <laughs> consecration, holy, hallowed, saint. And so you, it goes on and on, this list does, of how these different words are used in our various English translations. And so it doesn't matter how it's really translated, though, because it's all the same concept. And that concept is that we are to be set apart. And we are to be set apart for God and for God's purposes. And that's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to be sanctified or separated. Separated from the sin of the world and from worldliness to a God who is holy and righteous. And as we look at this, brethren, sanctification is essentially a two-step process. And when you look at this, the first process is simply the equation that God sets us apart. Well, have you thought about the concept of how God sets us apart? Back in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 8 that he said, you need to keep my statutes. You need to do them, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. How did the Lord sanctify them in that, in that first, uh, uh, during the first covenant under the old law? And how does God sanctify us here now under the new law in which Christians are under? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he tells us about people uh, who won't make it into heaven. And then he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. And when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, and my clicker's not working. So Jim, if you could do the slides for me. Before you get to verse 11, there's verses 9 and 10. It was talking about those who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who will not enter the kingdom of God. And then it gets to verse 11, and I always loved verse 11, because it says, Such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You means you're baptized. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified, made right in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the spirits of our God. When you look at this, brethren, we know that God sanctifies his people, Old and New Testament. He sets us apart from the rest of the world. And what is it that sets us apart from the rest of the world? It's our relationship with him. It's, our, it's his law that he gives us to separate us from the rest of the world. We know that in the Old Testament days, there were things like circumcision, the law of Moses, that separated them from the rest of the world. And now we have the circumcision of the heart in the New Testament. We know that baptism is how we get enter into the, the kingdom of God. And so as you look at this, God sanctifies his people. When you and I were baptized into Christ, and that's the key word, into Christ. God picked us up out of the sin-filled world and, and set us down into the, into, the, into the kingdom of God. It tells us there in Acts chapter 2, 
When, uh, when uh, Peter preached that first, uh, uh, that first history lesson, that first gospel sermon, if you will, and many of the, uh, the 3,000 Jews, they asked, what must we do? And he told them to repent and to be baptized, each one of you. But then it goes on, we know that it goes on to say that God adds you to the kingdom. Man doesn't add you to the kingdom. God adds you to the kingdom when you, uh, uh, when you believe and when you trust and when you obey the very standard of God. And so this morning, I want us to focus in on, on the second part of sanctification. Because as we are washed by the blood of Christ, we're separated, we're sanctified, meaning set apart. And when we are set apart to receive God's forgiveness, we receive his blessings, we receive his love, and we receive the promise of heaven. But that's not the part I want to focus in on. I want to focus in on the second part of sanctification, which is your responsibility. You see, because once God adds us to the kingdom... Are we once saved, always saved, like some of the denominations teach? Or do we have to then start that process of repenting of any and all sin in our lives? And so we open up the scriptures. I start to learn and to understand what God's expectations are of me. And then I come to those aha moments. So where I either have to make a choice. I'm either going to live for myself in the world and my own gratification, or I'm going to live for God. And we get to make a choice. And so that is the, the part that I want to focus on here this morning. Because we are called to no longer be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewer of our minds in uh, Romans chapter 12. And the second part of this equation is that we sanctify ourselves. In 1 Peter in chapter 1, in verse 15 and 16, it says, Just as God who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. You look at those words right there, and it says the words are holy, sanctified, saint, they're all describing the same concept. And that concept is that holy is when somebody or something is set apart for God or by God. And that is a simple concept. We, as God's children, who freely entered into a covenant relationship with God, expects us to be holy. It means set apart. And what sets us apart? The truth of God's word, his moral standing, his moral absolutes, his will. When we live according to the word of God and we make the necessary life changes, we start to then live for God. We start to shine the light of God within our family units, within our communities, within our workplaces. And then all of a sudden, that sets us apart. There are things that we don't do that the world does. Why? Because we're set apart. What sets us apart? The righteousness of God. The truth, the standard that we adhere to. Because we freely entered into a covenant relationship. And so as we look at this, now of course, many people would ask, they, well, how do we do that? How do I set myself apart? And it first and foremost begins with identifying with Jesus. We can't be embarrassed of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm here to tell you there are many people in the church who are embarrassed of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know this because I can't tell you how many Christians I know who start getting all squirrely when you bring up Jesus in a public setting. When you start to talk about religious matters in a public setting, people start getting a little squirrely. Why? Because people might judge me. People might start to think I'm one of those Bible thumpers. People might just start to call me names. And so all of a sudden, they don't like to talk about religious things out in the public forum. Why? Because many of the teachings of God now stand contradictory to the teachings of modern day culture and society. And so, Dave, don't you know there's two things we're not supposed to talk about? What are they? Religion and politics. And yet both of them in this country are going to hell in a handbasket. What 
is the state of religion in this country? What is the state of politics in this country? But let's just ignore the, the elephant in the room. Brothers and sisters, we need to be a people who are proud to align ourselves with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And as we look at this information here this morning, I want us to think of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 and 19. Notice what it says on the screen behind me. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you want to sanctify yourselves with God, then you need to be courageous and honest about who you are. Are you not a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you not a child of God? Well, then why would we be embarrassed to talk about the things of God with friends, family, and co-workers? I'm not talking about standing on a street corner and, and, and building a little booth and hopefully people will come up to you and want to have a conversation. I'm talking about friends, family members, co-workers, people you already have relationships with. You should be able to speak about your faith openly and courageously, boldly, if you will. Because isn't it the word of God that sets us, out of the, uh, sets, us, uh, sets us apart from the world? Isn't it the word of God that transforms our hearts and our minds? And so we need to make sure we know whose we are. And we need to make sure we know who's, uh, or who we are. And so brothers and sisters, in the Old Testament, the high priest, the high priest dressed noticeably, noticeably different than any, anyone else that was in the camp of the Israelites. He even dressed differently than the other priests, the high priest versus the regular priest. And every day, this high priest dedicated himself to serving God. And we also know that you could just look at his face and you can know that he was a person who served God with all his heart. Because fixed to his turban was a gold plate and it had the words, holy unto the Lord. And so everybody that seen this individual, they noticed that he dressed different, but he had a gold plate that was engraved, holy unto the Lord. He didn't have to tell people he was set apart for God. It said it on his forehead. And so sure, we could be, uh, we, we as uh, brothers and sisters of Christ, as disciples of Christ, we could become uh, God's walking billboards. Have you ever gone into a Christian bookstore and you see like the t-shirts and you see the movies, and you see the books, and you see all the, the home decor, and you see uh, the, the posters, and you see all these different things. Those are all fine and, and, and good in and of themselves. But Jesus Christ tells us there's a better way that you can uh, shine the light. There's a better way to become a, a public walking billboard for me and for, and for your faith. And we learn in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 that Jesus tells us, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father who is in heaven. What's going to be more beneficial to the kingdom of God? What's going to be more beneficial to, uh, to the church? Me wearing a, 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 a t-shirt that has some type of religious saying on it or me shining the light of Christ through my good works? Right? We can call ourselves Christians. We can align ourselves with Christ. But if we don't have good works, James says, your faith is dead in James chapter 2. Show me your faith without your works, he says, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Jesus is saying the same thing. We have to let the light that is in us, that truth, that righteousness, shine through. And let that, and let that be interpreted by the world. Because they see how you deal with the struggles of life. They see how you deal with problems in your marriage. They see how you deal with your children. They see how you interact with your co-workers. And they see there's something different about Lewis. 
There's something different about Rebecca. There's something different about Matt. Because he doesn't seem to, to, to involve himself in many of the worldly things and the worldly trappings like so many of us do. What, what is it that makes him different and that gives you an opportunity? What is that opportunity? To tell them about your Jesus. To tell them about your faith. To, to honor God by, by always living your life in a manner that is pleasing unto God. So brothers and sisters, as we look at this, we need to make sure that unfortunately we're not like some of the people who want to do good works because we want the credit. Do you know any Christians who do good works because they want to be noticed by man? Do you know any, uh, any Christians who want to do good works because they want the credit for them? They maybe want their name on a building or they want their, they want their, their, their family name known so they can be puffed up a little bit. Wasn't that what the Pharisees were doing? Isn't that why Jesus was pronouncing woe unto you, Pharisees? Because of the things that they were doing, they, they were trying to set themselves apart. They wanted the best seats in the synagogues. They wanted, the, uh, they wanted to just make themselves seem more important than they really were. And so as Christians, we need to make sure that as we do our good works, as we shine the light of Christ, God gets all the credit. Many times people come up to me after a Sunday morning service or a Wednesday, Dave, I really appreciate that lesson, but that was a great lesson. I really appreciate it. And I simply say, thank you. But God gets the credit. He gives me the New Testament. I simply regurgitate what he gives me. I study it, and I tell you what's in the same book that you can read for yourself. And so God gets the credit. I'm not, I'm not sitting up here giving you any information that you can't find on your own. And so, brothers and sisters, there's nothing special about me or any other preacher in the, in the kingdom. We simply, give, we simply give to you what God has presented to us in his New Testament, in the word of God. And so as we continue to look at this, we need to understand that in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, that it says, and through Jesus, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father is in heaven. I wonder how many of us need a refresher course in Matthew 10 and 32. Because there's too many people, I'm telling you, they get squirrely when you start talking about religious things in public settings, even though they align themselves with Christ. And so the first step toward uh, sanctifying yourself is to be courageous and honest about your love and your commitment that you freely made to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I think about 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14. And Peter tells us, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in your what? Ignorance. Is that a good thing? When you were ignorant of the word of God. Ignorance is not a derogatory term. So many people think it is, but it's not. It simply means you just don't know what you don't know. I'm ignorant on many topics in life and in the world. Why? Because I haven't been trained in them. I haven't studied them. I haven't, I haven't spent any time looking for answers in certain, uh, certain areas, certain fields, certain topics. And so I would be ignorant in some of those. And so many people are ignorant when it comes to the idea that they just don't know the word of God. I can't tell you how many Christians who don't know what the, what the scriptures teach, especially the New Testament, which we're actually beholden to, because that is the word in which we will judge by, will be judged by. That is what we will be judged by when we stand before Christ in judgment and give an account of our lives. And so in other words, brothers and sisters, the, uh, Peter is telling us here on the screen behind me, don't go back to your sinful ways. It's a central concept in the idea of holiness, 
I cannot accept the word of God and then go back and to live a life of worldliness. Because Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2, 20 and 22, I think it is, that, that if you come to the knowledge of the word of God and then you go back uh, to, you, then you reject it and you go back to your old ways, it says the, the, the second state has become worse than the first state. It says you would have been better off to, to, to never hear the word of God or to completely reject the word of God than to have heard it and then reject it. Because it's as if you're spitting on the cross of Jesus Christ. It's as if you're spitting on his sacrifice. And so I'm here to tell you, brethren, that that which is holy doesn't dabble in sin willfully. If we are to be holy as God is holy, means set apart, we don't get to dabble in sin. We don't get to dabble in sin willfully. And that's the key behind Hebrews 10 and 26, that we don't deliberately, willfully practice sin. The key word there, practice. It's not a moment of weakness that all of us have because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? It's, it's those who practice sin, those who willfully dabble in sin. They know the Word of God and they say, I don't care because I enjoy this. This is what I want. And so I think about this and I think about um, uh, this next passage of Scripture in 2 Chronicles. Before you get to 2 Chronicles 29 and 5 and you hear what it says, you understand that King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah he comes on to the scene. King Hezekiah comes from a father, the previous king, who was one of the worst, uh, worst uh, uh, kings ever in the, in the southern kingdom of Judah. He was evil. He was sinful. He closed the doors of the temple uh, after a period of time. But then he used to clear out the things of God, and he brought pagan idols in to be worshipped in, in the very temple of God. And what do we see? King Hezekiah comes on the scene, and he starts to retrain up the Levites. He sends them back into the temple to restore worship, to restore the law of God, to restore our worship in honor of God. In the second Chronicles, it says in 29 and 5 behind me, Now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord and the God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from this holy place. Carry out the rubbish was talking about all the pagan idols and things that were brought in by the previous king. And so, brothers and sisters, if you're going to sanctify yourselves, you must do some house cleaning. If you want to be a holy representative of God, you need to do some house cleaning, meaning that you need to clean up your life. If you're a person who struggles with sin in your life, you need to realize what that sin is, what those temptation uh, points are, and then you need to turn away from those things. There are times when you must remove friends and family members from your life for a season, or sometimes permanently, depending on the situation, depending on uh, the, the family dynamics. Why? Because there are individuals in our, friend, in our friend units, in our family units, that will try to bring us down. That will try us to get us to forsake our faith. To do things that will stand in contrary to how I know I, as a Christian, am to conduct myself. And so I need to make sure that I do some house cleaning from time to time. And I remove certain friends, certain family members from my very life. So that their influence is no longer over me. Does that make sense? And brothers and sisters, do we not teach our children this? Do we not teach our children this when we send them off to school? That, hey, there are some kids that are going to be worse than others, and you need to be careful about these kids. Why? Because of the things that the path, the road, that they're going to cause you to go down. And so we teach that basic concept to our children. And yet we, as adults, don't follow through with that basic concept in our adult lives. That sometimes there are people that need to be removed. 
And I think about this, brethren. If you're prone to, to cursing and, and using uh, mean-spirited language, it's time to clean up your speech. Amen? If you're prone to abusing alcohol or drugs or pornography or so many other things that so many people struggle with in society today, it's time to clean up your life. If you're prone to dressing immodestly, then it's time to cover up and to be noticed for the, for the good works of the person of the heart than for the, the flesh that you want to expose in order to get people to notice you. Because the Bible speaks about immodesty. And so then we must clean, clean that, part of our life, or that part of our lives up and to remove the trash. And the trash is representative of sin in these concepts. And so sanctification is simply about how we live our lives. But being holy isn't just about what you do. It's also about what you don't do. And so I want you to think about Psalm uh, chapter 15. Open this up. Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm chapter 15. I'm trying to get this whole lesson in because Randy said I got to 2 o'clock. <laughs> Bob, what time is your reservation? <laughs> Bob's not one to talk about the reservation. All right, I put him on the spot. He doesn't like it. So I got, I got a little while. So Psalm chapter 15. Notice what it says in verse 1 through 5. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may abide on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity can abide in his tent, can abide on his hill, and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He who does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a troublemaker is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocents. He does these things. He who does these things will never be shaken. He who does these things can abide in my tents. He who does these things can abide on my holy hill. It's talking about heaven. It's talking about spending our eternity with God and not in hell. And so I want you to notice what, uh, what David has to say here. Not only did he speak of the things that we shouldn't do, but he also speaks of the things that we should. If we have the desire to make heaven our home. Brothers and sisters, how many times have we sang the song, This World is Not Our Home? And Lewis asked you this morning, do we really, do we really consider the words that we sing sometimes? Or do we sing these songs so often that we just, it just becomes second nature? And we just sing them, and we don't really focus on the words anymore. Why do so many people get so uh, bent out of shape about politics in this country and different things? Because their focus is more on earthly things, worldly things, than they are on heavenly things. I don't remember Jesus Christ and his apostles who lived under one of the most oppressive regimes this world has ever known, the Roman Empire. I don't remember the political rallies. I don't remember Jesus offering political advice and what they need to do to stand up against the hated Romans. He said you need to focus on the things of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all things will be added unto you. Amen? And yet, what do we do? We turn around and we get so uh, caught up in the weeds that we can't see beyond the weeds. We can't see what's best for the kingdom. And what's best for the kingdom is not to get caught up in the matters of politics and worldly things, but to make sure that we stay focused on what's truly important. And that is the word of God. Brothers and sisters, sanctifying yourself is also about what you don't do. If sanctification could be done by just keeping rules, then the Pharisees would have been on God's all-time hit list, on his all-time uh, parade list of heroes. They had all the rules down, did they not? 
They knew exactly what they shouldn't do. But you know what the key is? They didn't love people. They didn't love people because they didn't show love and grace and mercy. It makes me think about Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Jesus told the Pharisees on the screen behind me, you give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What is the point here? That these Pharisees, they understood, they knew all the rules. They had the rules written down. They memorized the rules, but they didn't show love to others. They were more concerned about offering the tenth than they were about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And that's why when I talk about verses like uh, Matthew 16, Mark chapter 7, when Jesus is saying, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you guys, talking about the Pharisees, that, that, that you honor me with your lips, but your heart, your mind, your soul, they're far from me. He wasn't saying all the people of Judaism. He wasn't saying everybody treats it as a, as a checklist. He was saying that the, the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they're the ones that he's rebuking, just like we looked at in Bible study this morning. So brothers and sisters, sanctification is about more than what you don't do. It's also about what you do. You know, one, thing, one of the things I love about the, the Lord's Church here at Lincoln Park and in other places, I admire so many of the people in the Lord's uh, Church uh, who are set apart, and they don't bother to ask the elders or me or anybody else for permission before they call on the sick, before they visit hospitals, before they write letters of encouragement, before they give their money away to the poor, before they seek and save lost souls and do, uh, and do Bible studies in their homes and other people's homes. They give freely uh, of their resources. They forgive freely, knowing how much they have been forgiven. They don't ask for permission before they do these things. They do these things because it's a matter of it's, it's who they become, because the Word of God has transformed them. And so they are people who now live according to the, to the word of God, and they do the good works that God has, has encouraged us to do, to show love and faithfulness and mercy and compassion and kindness, and to give others hope when they don't feel like they have hope in this world. Brothers and sisters, we also know that when you do those things, it's like God's providence that's working in through us in non-miraculous ways. God's providence is working through us when we do the works of God. Because God uses us in non-miraculous ways to bring about his will in the lives of others. So many times people pray to God and they say, God, please, I need help and fill in the blank. And then God will send somebody their way, your way in the form of a brother or sister in Christ. And they know you're hurting and they ask to help you. And you say... I appreciate it, brother. Just keep me in prayer. What if God sent Tony into my life to do more than just pray for me? To, to help me in whatever the case may be, with whatever the situation may be. But if I reject his help, it's like I rejected the help of God. You guys have all heard that, uh, that, that, that uh, sermon analogy that talks about the person. Um, there was a, it was a hurricane that was coming, right? And, and the person... Uh, was trying, the, all the people had to leave their city and their town. Uh, the authorities were trying to get everybody to escape. And they basi he basically said to the neighbors who offered him a ride, I have faith in God. When the time comes, God will protect me. And then the floodwaters were raising, and then a, a boat came by, a, you know, a canoe came by, a helicopter came by, all these different things. And I'm paraphrasing here, I'm just you know, speeding it up. But eventually the guy drowns and he dies. And so he gets to heaven and he says, Lord, I put all my faith in you. 
He says, why did you forsake me? Why didn't you protect me? He says, I sent you a car. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. What more did you want from me? Brothers and sisters, it's that same concept that God's providential care works in the lives of his, of his members, of those who are faithful unto him through the lives and good works of others. And we need to remember that. And so I'm going to get ready to shut this down. But as I think about uh, just God's providence and his care in our lives, brethren, God uses us as individuals to bring about his will in non-miraculous ways. For example, if you're having a medical calamity, you've got a medical problem, we have medical resources, we have medications, we have various treatment <laughs> options, and we have also people, brothers and sisters of Christ, who will be there to help you bear that burden. And so we understand that God works in non-miraculous ways to bring about his will in our lives. And so no matter what, brethren, we win. Because let's just say that my health diagnosis, I don't recover from. But yet, I've had the medications, I've had the people, I've had the letters of encouragement, I've got the cards, I've got the meals for my family. All these things were happening, and yet, I lose my fight. Guess what? Here's the good news. You still win. Because you go back to your father. You go to paradise. And you spend eternity in heaven. And so I don't have to stress out about every little thing. Because I know that the God's providential care will work in my life. And, if it, and even if I lose my life according to this illness, I go home to where we all desire to be. How bad could that be? And so, brethren, I think about the word of God here this morning. I think about uh, sanctification. I think about providence. I think about good works. And I just know, brethren, that if we stay faithful and true unto God, if we study his word to, to, to transform our hearts and minds, then God himself will, it will set us apart as the Holy Spirit works in and through our very lives. So here's the bottom line. God wants deeply committed followers, not friends. Because friends are individuals who care enough to, to call for you, but not necessarily care, upon, care enough to actually sacrifice for you. And so God wants deeply committed followers. He doesn't want friends. God wants your loyalty. He wants your allegiance. He wants your obedience. And the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you're hearing this message today and you have questions, please let us know how we can help you afterwards. If you're hearing this message today and you're not a child of God, but your desire is to become a child of God so you can have a hope when the rest of the world who doesn't have hope, you could go down into the watery grave of baptism. Your sins will be washed away. God will, uh, not only will your sins be washed away, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God himself adds you to the kingdom, adds you to the church. If that is your desire here this morning, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.